you for joining the IPG Media Lab up here on Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elgerson, and joined with me as always is Mr. Angel Mendoza. Hello, world. And uh, we are we are your hosts. Uh, this week, we are joined by a special guest, Tony Parisi, who is the global head of AR and VR of Brand Solutions over at Unity. So, Tony, welcome to Floor 9. Hey, thanks for having me. How you doing, Scott? Hey, Angel. Doing so well. Living the dream. Yeah, it's you know it's just another great day here in uh, sunny New York, New York. Um, this week's episode is going to be all about uh, AR and VR and kind of really a, a mid-year check on of, of the state of the industry. Uh, but before we dive into that, Tony, we'd love to hear a little bit of background on yourself, really how you got involved in the space and uh, what you're really doing today over at uh, Unity Technologies. So I've been in 3D visualization and VR and related fields for over 20 years. I worked on some early technology to bring 3D to the web called VRML back in the mid-90s, actually, and have stayed close to 3D ever since, working on video games, social games, 3D visualization projects. And when VR made its big resurgent comeback in around 2014 with the introduction of Oculus and all the other VR technologies that were coming to market, I got involved in virtual reality again and was working on a few different projects when the folks at Unity found me and asked for my help to start figuring out how the company uh, would be leaning into VR and AR. Folks like um, Ford and a lot of the auto companies were using our technology to, to do VR and augmented reality for all kinds of non-game use cases. And so the company needed to figure out which new businesses to lean into, and we're looking for somebody outside the game industry that had a purview on this around uh, the capabilities of VR, how the technology works, you know, how, how it might get adopted in the market. So they asked me to join up, and that was just about two years ago now. Jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah. So when we when we say expert, I mean we we mean expert. You know, you've said you've been in the you've been in the industry like your your entire life. So who who better else to talk to uh, than the one and only Tony Parisi. Uh, so with that, I think we should just really dive into really a temperature check on the first aspect that I want to talk about, which is going to be virtual reality. Um, so from your perspective, what are some, some some current challenges that consumer adoption of VR is really facing today? I think that's the biggest issue that we're seeing um, with VR. I think the, the challenges that have led to a perceived cool down uh, around VR, you know, the, the action, the hype, uh, a lot of the noise we'd been hearing for a few years prior to this. Um, I, I, I think what's happened there is we saw a natural slowdown based on price points. You know, these are somewhat expensive pieces of peripherals. You have to then connect to a PC that's got some power. Um, so those price points were creating natural friction where really this kind of thing would be adopted by, you know, an early tech adopter, maybe an avid gamer, uh, possibly into the enterprise where the, you know, these cost factors weren't so much of an issue. Because again, uh, when you look at the overall consumer market, the adoption of you know, in-the-home types of headsets was really uh, slowing down. Uh, the creation of really compelling content. And, and while tools like Unity, you know, platforms like Unity that you use to create are inexpensive and accessible, there's still also a cost to content creation that impedes the proliferation of really good VR content. So it's, you know, it's these budgets can be in the half a million to two million dollar range to create a good piece of content. And then in order to, you know, subsist and, and exist as a company doing that, that means you've got to sell a lot of content, say through Steam on the PC. Uh, and you could sell those at forty, fifty dollars potentially for a really compelling title. Now on mobile it's not going to be like that. It's going to be two to twenty dollars tops. 
So, you know, these, the, the economic factors all still have to come together to, to justify the cost of production. And, and the people doing some of the best productions are being subsidized right now, either by sponsors from the tech world or, you know, spending their venture, hard-earned venture dollars uh, to actually go create really cool platforms, plus, you know, to distribute plus the, uh, plus the content to go with it. So, so these things are all still brewing. And they're all taking their natural course. And I think the only thing that we're seeing maybe that's um, a bit of a dissonance out there is that there was so much expectation, so much hype for a few years around this. Uh, folks you know, here at Unity weren't naive about that. And I think a lot of folks in the tech industry knew this was going to take some time. But the, you know, the hype tent has a way of getting ahead of itself, especially the technology that's so exciting. The excitement is for really good reasons. But I think as a as a collective, we maybe got ahead of ourselves on that. So so we're naturally having that correction right now, uh, but but the challenges we're facing, we're hitting them head on with this cheaper hardware and more and better content, and sorting out these business models. And and you know across the board, we're seeing you know continued signs of life and growth. Right, and I, and and like to your point exactly, um, for us at the lab, we've been really looking at the Oculus Go as that kind of t- like temperature check to see how consumers are going to be, you know, actually adopting VR because like like you said right now it's really expensive for the like the Vive you have to have the HMD like the you know the $2000 computers so this you know is going to be an interesting marker for us as we kind of round out the year to see just how much um, adoption there is for the Oculus Go and these you know standalone devices because we think that's going to be that first sign of the VR mar- you know, health market really, really taking taking back up um and just kind of you know interesting to see how it how it's actually evolving evolving along and it's interesting that you brought up in the in the beginning about how you're seeing a, a lot more enterprise use um, kind of not only for like VR but for the unity technologies like 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 the unity engine itself I'm curious to know like how you're seeing those type of brands like these design these designers or these education platforms or these even automotive companies is that what you're seeing from from your end as well as like, like that's where like there's more of a more traction today yeah for sure there's there's a lot of traction today. Um, just take uh, the automotive industry as an example. There are so many different use cases of immersive technology like VR. Um, we're seeing in big companies like you know Ford, Audi, Volkswagen really leaning hard with innovation labs. You know, which started as you know they put out an ad for a game developer, and that one game developer turned into a three-person prototyping shop, and now they're full innovation labs for use cases everything from. Changing the way they design a car, you know, the way cars are designed today, they've been designed for decades now. So what they've been doing is experimenting with, for example, using uh, a HoloLens or VR to assist in um, augmenting that to start, not replacing that physical prototype. But the idea is eventually maybe they replace that physical prototype. And so you'll get a lot more efficiency in the design process because the changes you make are much less expensive to make. You're not working in physical material. You're working with virtual stuff. But beyond the design, then there's, you know, design review, then there's taking that and turning it into actionable things for engineering. There's putting it in front of customers to see what customers think. There's putting it in a showroom to actually use VR to potentially sell by putting you in a car before it's ever on the lot or in the showroom. So that, and then that's just one industry. What has changed is the ability to do these things efficiently in real time. And these industries are understanding that by doing it in real time, where it's fully interactive and you can make these changes and see them reflected immediately, not have to go back and do a physical render, you are getting more efficiency, you're getting more value because people can actually understand how the thing works, not just how it looks and have to imagine how it works. 
So the benefits of real-time technology, whether you're in a VR headset or looking at it on a tablet or phone, are becoming clear to these industries. I do like the example that you bring up with design, especially in automotive. I feel like with VR, it gives you the opportunity to be a bit more creative because, to your point, you're able to quickly develop these prototypes but also revert back or change if needed, unlike using a clay model, which probably takes hours to shape. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, a very skilled craftsman's work uh, where this, like I said, makes it much more, you know, um, feasible for anybody to really get out there and develop those different types of uh, prototypes. But moving on, I would like to talk about, um, well, two things. Knowing that we're seeing this enterprise, I think, use case of VR becoming more and more um, beneficial, if you were to recommend to a consumer, a listener today, to go out and try VR experience, you know, Tony, as an expert, what would be your first recommendation for a consumer to pop on the Oculus Go or the HTC Vive and actually experience a VR game or whatever it might be? What is your number one? Well, number one would be the Oculus Go because there's no messing around. There's no wires. It's comfortable. It's easy. You pop, you pop it on and it's pretty intuitive what you do straight away. I mean, I, there's there's about two minutes of setup if you're actually unboxing this thing yourself versus having it handed to you by someone. And the two minutes of setup are literally get the Oculus app and Bluetooth connected to the uh, headset. You are done. But you can you know, basically use your phone, your main phone. Again, it does, you don't drop your phone in this thing. It's its own device. Uh, to set up, grab a few apps to start, put in your information, if you know your Facebook login or whatever, and boom, you are ready to go. It's it's as much set up as logging into Yelp for the first time if you don't have an account, right? It's just really, it's not that hard. Yeah. So that's the that's the unboxed experience, but that's not going to bring you the depth of what you could do in an HTC Vive or an Oculus Rift. So if you're in a position where you're able to go see that. Um, you should see that as your first VR because then you could be immersed in incredible worlds. You can play games that take advantage of your full physical body. You can move around in space. So it, it, it just really depends on whether you have access to the higher-end hardware or not. But if if you want to you know, buy something and you know, try it out as your first experience and, and unbox it, then the Go is definitely the way to go. In my opinion, if you're trying out for the first time, I would hope people try the higher-end experience. So to your point, the HTC Vive, because I remember when I first tested out the Tilt Brush by Google, mm. that was just an amazing experience. Granted, it's the, it's the vibe, and it took a lot of setup up front, but it just blew me away, which I think that's something the Oculus Go or the standalone headsets aren't quite there yet. No, they can't do that. And in fact, Tilt Brush is still my favorite VR app of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's great that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's Mac Paint, but in VR. Anybody can use it. Anybody can make something. And um, I just think it's an incredible medium for self-expression. They also, Tilt Brush also has a Unity SDK, so you can take the art and bring it into your uni creations, make them interactive so you can build these rich landscapes in Tilt Brush and then bring them in and add the interaction in Unity and, you know, make an app or a game out of that that's really bre- has really breathtaking art in it without having to be a, um, you know, a classic 3D modeler, uh, game animator type of developer. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. I might have to test that out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely check that out. It's amazing what people have done with that. Great. Well, I think... Our next topic that, that we have to go into is the AR, the augmented reality. Kind of this is this this is the area that's really taken all of the hype away from VR in these past you know few months. I think it seems like there's just been a, like the media has transitioned to this other format, uh, and most recently, 
the biggest AR announcement has has come out. The Magic Leap One AR headset is now shipping for two thousand two hundred and ninety five dollars in select cities. So I want to get everybody's hot take on this new announcement. Uh, Tony, let's start with you. Let us. I, I would love to know, kind of hear what your initial thoughts are on this on this headset. It's funny. I didn't consciously do this, but I'm actually wearing a Magic Leap T-shirt today as a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I just picked that off my shelf when I when I got dressed today. Um, and yeah, the, it's interesting what's going on with the Magic Leap. It's a great device. Um, and, you know, we have a Unity has a partnership with them to power the Magic Leap. You know, from the Unity engine, and we're working very closely on that to make sure developers have the the best tools and access to that device. And you know, rather than give my personal thoughts on it, what I found has been interesting over the last week since it came out and went live, and everyone's been able to get it in their hands through the pre-orders, is the public reaction. I was a little worried people were going to be super skeptical. What I'm finding instead, and I think this is a testament to how good it is, even though it's still in, uh, in by Magic Leap's admission, rather early in its life cycle, is that people really like it. Hearing what the creators... And the early adopters are doing and playing with it is, to me, the testament that they're in the right direction. You know, even again, though, it's early, the price is high. I mean, everyone knows that's how these things start, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. And have you heard anything about the setup? Because that's one of the things that I guess I challenges me when it comes to VR. Setting it up is a bit of a hassle. It takes a lot. Is it the same for for the Magic Leap where you have to set it up before, like, there's you have to dedicate time to set it up before getting into the meat of it. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess that's true, Angel. I just. I. I haven't unboxed it. Right. I work at Unity, so I can walk around and grab a Magic Leap. Right. I'm gonna assume you have to do a little bit of work, given that it's effectively a you know uh, early creator version of the device and not intended for everybody as a consumer. Though directionally, they're still headed for the consumer market. You know. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, so that's like one thing when it comes to the Magic Leap is that they are. In the cities where, where where it is rolling out, they're like they're supplying a team that, that'll unbox it and help you set it up in house. So that kind of like negates that one hurdle of um, kind of like that, like that user adoption when it comes to setting things up. But so it's funny because like kind of some of the things that we've been seeing on on our end, and I think this kind of stems from the hype that Magic League has been building up for the past you know four years, is that it's a great headset, but it's very comparable to like the HoloLens. Like it, it seems like they were comparing it to um, you know this. Um, kind of pie in the sky, and then what? What, what we actually got was, um, you know, a bit, you know, a few steps below that. You know, more, more in line with what is available today with the technology and the hardware that is actually able to be produced. So it'll be, I think, for mine, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how uh, consumers really start to like look at this headset. Um, because like that's 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 what that that was their promise. It was supposed to be like a high like a high end smartphone price, and it's a bit it's a bit above that. So I think like you said, like this is like the first iteration. Um, but I think the market today is just like there was a lot of hype for it, and they're slowly working their way, you know, back to what was promised. And Tony, quick question: Knowing that the Magic Leap just rolled out, and developers are hungry to create content, how easy is it to create content using the Unity? platform for the magic leap so i mean one of the things that unity prides itself on is is making this as easy as possible for content creators at various levels now every device has its strengths its weaknesses its different ways of doing for example input and we've we've tried to accommodate all of those into a design that that could work across many many devices but 
how you build for, say, a Magic Leap or a HoloLens or some other mixed reality type of device is going to somewhat diverge from how you build for VR, which is somewhat going to diverge from how you build for phone-based or tablet-based augmented reality. These are more design considerations than they are the technical considerations. But overall, the Unity approach has been, you know, kind of build once and deploy everywhere. So that's super helpful. Um, I, I think people are in good shape if they've been using Unity already. You know, we should start seeing some pretty high-end amazing stuff coming out soon. I would just guess based on the fact that people have been at it for months now outside of the, you know, whatever small core Magic Leap had been working with prior to the public release. Can't wait. Now I just need to scrap together $3,000 to get myself a pair. <laughs> um, yeah. If only we all had that type of cash. But so but when it comes to AR, though, and we're really looking at consumer adoption of AR, um, I think where we've found the most success is with the smartphone um, and kind of this, and this idea of mobile AR. And, you know, this, when we look, when we look at the consumer standpoint and, and, and what they're looking to develop, this mobile AR is what has really taken um, that hype train away from VR and really focusing back onto this AR conversation. Um, where, you know, we're seeing all the major tech companies that are now developing some sort of, you know, either Apple with AR kits and Google with AR core, you know, Facebook has announced that they want to build glasses. We know Amazon is working on some sort of augmented reality project because that's where Alexa stemmed from. Um, so I'm curious to know from like, from like your guys' perspective, you know, what, what's that one thing that is making AR that much easier, um, for consumers to adopt compared to like VR and why, it, why AR is just more successful right now? Well, I think it all comes down to one word scale. So when you look at AR kit and AR core enabled phones, we are talking about currently on the market close to half a billion devices growing to a billion as projected by the end of 2018. Already over 400 million iPhones that can do this and uh, AR core is percolating through the Google ecosystem as we speak. Um, so I, I think the value proposition for anyone creating immersive content that wants to do it for consumers, whether it's a game, uh, something in entertainment, the use of it in brand advertising and branded apps, is that you're going to reach many, many more people. And they're getting warmed up for it with snap lenses and these other you know, little things that are basically taking your camera and enhancing. And now they're getting trained up on doing that with the back-facing camera, where it's not just you know giving you a selfie filter, but it's stuff out in the world. Uh, in the real world ahead of you, and you're looking through your phone to see it. So th this is these are natural progressions of what phones can do, driven and enabled by the camera. So I, that's why I think we're seeing any industry that's consumer facing, you know, entertainment or the creative industry or games, all moving in that direction right now. But I think it's part of a it, it's part of a dance or a, a spiral sort of diagram, if you can visualize this, where it's going to come back around to immersive VR as the headsets proliferate. It's going to eventually hit glasses-based AR and other forms of mixed reality when those devices are cheap and light enough over the next few years. So it's it's all part of a progression. I don't I don't think it's a divergence. I think it's all just sort of working on another part of the continuum right now. Yeah, I think when it comes to consumer adoption, it, my answer plays off your your answer, Tony. Um, I think it's two things. One, with the different levels of AR, when it comes to face filters or world lenses, whatever, it's really engaging, but it's also shareable. And I think that's what's really the difference between AR and VR, like that piece or those two pieces on top of scale. 
Yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I mean, it's not an either or VR. You could argue is shareable as well. You just have fewer people to share it with, and and you know. But AR is more naturally shareable, I think, in that way that you're getting at because it fits the the social patterns we're used to. It's your phone. Uh, you're used to doing a lot of social things on your phone. Um, it's incorporating the camera. It's incorporating the world around you yourself. So it's moments from your life. So I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. And then I think, of, of course, it, we, we cannot mention Pokemon Go as really kicking off what consumer mobile phone AR could be. Uh, while like, like, like the first version was, yeah, you know, pseudo AR. Yeah, pseudo, pseudo AR. But, you know, it got the message across that it was very simple form factor. That, like you said, it just takes advantage of everything that the users already have on their phone. Um, and it just, there's a very low barrier to entry. And with that, I think we're now seeing more and more brands get on board, but also, you know, developing new use cases for what the phone can be for consumers. Um, we're seeing the u- utility use cases like a measuring tape just with the announcement of AR kit, like that allows you to actually get an accurate measurement from your phone of a box around you or a picture frame around you, or like just, just your wall space, like super useful baseline stuff. Uh, Ikea, they came out with their placed app unbelievable like that this is how i shopped for my table in my apartment you can just go into their catalog pick what furniture you would like a table a chair whatever it might be and it's auto scales because the phone can understand using ar kit or ar core what where it is in the room and how big the room is so it can it, it can appropriately scale that piece of furniture for you in your house so you can see what it looks like um but then you know entertainment we've already mentioned that with pokemon go snapchat facebook gaming is going to be huge we're seeing the like kind of rolling out of like multiplayer inner like interfaces where you can have two phones play on the same landscape uh wayfinding is going to be huge uh now you can kind of just hop out of a train station a subway instead of walking the wrong way like i always do you can just pull your phone up and then that'll tell you exactly which way you should be going there's just a lot of interesting use cases that i think we're seeing slowly roll out um that helps increase why ar is becoming much more um adopted rather than vr yeah, one one hundred percent, and I think that just a couple examples you touched on span so many different kinds of devices and places where that kind of immersive content or augmented content would show up, like on a car windshield or some other kinds of heads-up display, and and I just think the general consumer expectation going forward is going to be that our world is going to be adorned with all of this kind of information and magic wherever we go. I just think that's going to be the prevailing expectation a few years out. And what we're seeing now are the baby steps toward that. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree. I feel like that's, that's like I said, like that's the world everybody has been, been dreaming of um, with these devices. And um, one area I, I don't think we mentioned, but it's also super important is, 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 is retail. I mean, I know we mentioned that a little bit with, with, with the Places app, but um, Apple's coming out with their new AR Quick Look feature, which is coming out with, with iOS 12, and that's going to allow you to take a physical product across a web page and put it directly in, into AR. So that'll just change completely how consumers are really shopping for products. So I think you know that, that's, that's super interesting for brands, especially when it comes to uh, like retail, on how that's going to like consumer behavior is going to be changing with the advent of bringing these products into this AR space that you can access through your phone camera. That's it's it's incredible. Facebook also demoed this kind of capability at F8, their developer conference in the spring. Uh, this one blew my mind. It was a 3D object in the Facebook feed, you know, so you can interact with it and rotate it. And if you swiped it in the, the right way, I don't remember what the user interface was, it opened your camera up and put that object on your countertop. I think it was a, either an electric mixer or a coffee maker, some kind of, you know, home appliance, and just popped it on the coffee top, uh, 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 countertop, and then you could buy it. 
that was the whole demo scenario all the way you know so it's engagement all the way to purchase yeah that's incredible and then you know, there's also even uh, omnivert they're they're another company out there that that's doing like the kind of the same sort of ad unit development um so like there are a lot of companies that are working on this, this like, for retail specifically this uh this use case which i think is going to be incredible for consumers especially this when it comes to changing how they how they shop of course as we mentioned apple is kind of rolling out their updates in the fall this year like we said their the ios will, will, will be available with this ar quick look feature um but you know just in general i'm curious to know from both you guys here in the room tony and angel you know, what are your really thoughts on the implications of these major tech companies um, releasing AR headsets possibly in the future? I'll take it. I'll take it first. For me, it's really, it's going to make the world a little more fragmented, but it's already <laughs> fragmented when it comes to hardware. But when they do roll out, I guess in my eyes, it's it has to have a lot of content or it has to bring a lot of utility in order for, for me, commits me to purchase one. Well, for sure. I agree with Angel on that. Um, I think that idea is what is driving us. This is the North Star for everything folks have been doing in immersive, is the idea that you could have that magical augmentation, but you can be heads up uh, as opposed to having to look through the phone as a magic window. And the question is, who's, who's going to do it when in terms of the hardware? Um, how many generations is that going to take to shake out? Um, which approach are we going to see? You have some people uh, from the VR side at least agitating that AR is never going to be that good because you'll never be able to put all the computation up on your head. But we've seen Magic Leap is a first step where they put the computation in your pocket, hip pocket or, pocket or on your belt. So it's in a separate gizmo that's wired up to the glasses. Um, now imagine you know, a few years down the line as 5G networking has rolled all the way out as there, there are computers on the edge of everything everywhere, you could actually do a lot of amazing content and computation not resident on the device itself. And you could have these amazing AR experiences. This is all going to take several years to play out. But this is what the industry is driving toward. So it's going to be a driver of networking. It's going to be a driver of consumer use. It's going to be a driver of new kinds of content creation and application functionality, all the mapping use cases you were talking about. It's, we're all headed there. Um, and I don't think the first generation of whatever comes out is going to be something that everybody's going to want to buy because it never goes that way. But you will have the early adopters hitting it hard, and we'll learn from that, and then we'll do it a few more times. I have no idea how many years this is going to take, by the way. <laughs> five. Five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always a five. <laughs> always my go-to. Five. Yeah. five. Angel, Angel coming in with a, with the hard calls again, back-to-back podcasts with uh, <laughs> <laughs> the hard. What was the over-under on that? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. It's always, it's probably always more over than him than yeah, under for him. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the I mean, like, th there's also talk about the convergence of AR and VR. I mean, do you guys think that it'll just be one headset at some point that can do both, or it, is it going to kind of be two siloed products, like one that's for fully immersive escape in a sense, and one that's more again is augmenting the world around you. I've, I've flip-flopped on this. I, I, for a while, was dreaming there could be one magical device that could do this all. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to get down to what's most useful and where. And uh, if the history of video game consoles or computing devices, if either of those are any indication, I don't think it's going to necessarily converge on one thing. Um, and as a you know student in the field, as someone who's you know dedicated his, basically most of his career to this, 
the idea that 3D is a prevalent media type uh, a few years down the line, that's, that is the holy grail for me. So I don't, I don't honestly care if it ends up in one device or not. And I, if I had to predict, I'd say it's probably not going to do that. Yeah, I agree as well. And I think it, com- it will come down to form factor, being in- immersed in a headset and being taken somewhere versus placing objects in the environment. But also, and this is a bad comparison, but I have an iPhone and I have an iPad. I use them for two separate things, but I bring them both. And I feel it will be similar to AR and VR when the form factors get smaller enough. Exactly. Yeah. There's there your baseline. There are two different use cases for it. Uh-huh. Um, and based off the use case, that's the one that you as a brand or a consumer, whatever might will gravitate towards to solve your challenge or need. Uh, cause I also, I also agree with you guys. I think it's, it'll be a hard, hard press to deliver the experience that a VR unit does today within let's just say like you know like a pair of sunglasses because that's the that's the ideal scenario it's mm-hmm. a, it's a pair of glasses super lightweight that just houses everything in it or it tethers off your phone and that's it um so it'd be hard to kind of bring that immersive experience into that type of form factor with really without blocking out the rest of the world so i think it'll probably stay too um but i lean more towards the i guess ar as you know having a greater impact on consumer behavior going to the future i think that's going to have you know but like the really like the, the potential to like to be that next that next you know computer or like that next wave that, that uh, next wave of computing uh, that will everybody will have and get that'll it's completely re- revolutionize the way that we live our lives. Um, but with that, you guys want to go into some brand takeaways for our lovely brand folks that are out there today. Um, Angel, do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I'll keep this short and sweet. All right. At the end of the day. When it comes to brand takeaways, brands should really look, for, look to creating 3D assets. And if they will begin to test this, they should look for a partner that has an established audience that can easily integrate these 3D objects into an experience versus trying to build everything out themselves and pour all that money into it. Well said. I'm glad somebody else decided to say that besides me. <laughs> Tony, what about what about yourself? Well, I'm going to pick up on that in a, if you will allow me to be self-serving. I want to talk about Unity's role in all this. So yeah, uh, brands should absolutely be investing in immersive technology as a new way to tell stories. It's it's maybe the most compelling storytelling medium we've ever had already. But the thing that uh, brands who have been experimenting with this have been facing to date, and this is what's changing, and I'm so happy to be talking about this, is distribution. The VR and AR brand experiences we've seen have been locked into applications, like an app you have to download, an app you have to install through an app store, and uh, that is not a recipe for reach. If you create an AR application that someone has to download for your brand, not for utility, the the IKEA example, all that, that's great. That's utility. People are going to go get that anyway, and it's a brand they know. But most people don't download branded apps if they don't have utility, if it's not for booking a flight or something like that. So what's been missing until recently with these capabilities coming to either browsers or Facebook or some of these other first-party apps um, is the ability to to distribute at scale. Uh, One of the things that Unity has as a company, which your audience might not know about, is that we have a massive advertising platform in addition to our content creation business. It's a platform that reaches over a billion viewers every month across Unity-powered games that make money through ads. So this is an endpoint for delivering your brand content, and Unity has introduced, in addition to our uh, classic video ad uh, product and playable interactive ads, the ability to do AR 
advertising. And that's rolling out in our next version of our Unity kit for advertisers in um, September. So it's coming out. It's been a beta this summer. So we're super excited about that because now a brand can build amazing creative, like work with an IPG to create this amazing stuff that can actually reach everybody in Unity's mobile supply. And that supply is in, uh, insanely coveted right now, too. So you're going to have these endpoints across these different mobile apps and on web that you're going to be able to deliver AR content into. So that's a game changer as well. It's no longer simply create this experience, uh, have a cool thing for your brand, but still not be able to reach enough people. So you know, that's what I do for a day job these days at Unity. So that's what's got me super excited about it. Well, yeah, well said. And I know Angel, as our, our resident esports and gaming expert, uh, you know, he can go on for hours about mobile gaming and this the benefits that has for a, for a brand. So um, that's fantastic. But um, so, Tony, how can our listeners get in touch with you? What's the Instagram, the Twitter, the email, the medium? Uh, where do you want our listeners to follow you? Uh, feel free to email me my Unity email, Tony P, T-O-N-Y-P, at Unity3D.com. My Twitter handle is at sign Aura Deluxe. That's one word, A-U-R-A-D-E-L-U-X-E. And those are my two main ways of contacting me. If you want to check me out on Medium, just search for my name. I like to blog. And thanks for uh, having me on here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy that you were able to come on and we could uh, chat about everything that's going on in the world of AR and VR. Um, but with that, listeners, if, if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's fantastic. Uh, you can follow us on social at ipglab. That's for Twitter and Instagram. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends, share, give us a clap on Medium. Whatever you can do, we greatly appreciate it. So thank you, and we'll talk soon.